Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, Repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidest to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented. That's something. The Lord repented? I thought sinners repent. But it says the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. God did not really want to destroy the Jewish people, but he wanted Moses to stand up in the gap between an angry God and a rebellious people and plead for the rebellious people, the rebellious Jewish people. David got it when he understood this, and he said in Psalm 106, verse 23, speaking of this part, this time here, therefore said he that he would destroy them Had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. See, that shows the heart of God. How He looks for a person to stand in the middle, stand between him and the people so that they don't get destroyed. He talks about this in Ezekiel 22.30. God talked about it in Ezekiel 22.30 when he said, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge. You know, think about a hedge, and there's a hole in the hedge. You know, a hedge is supposed to keep bad things out. And God says, I look for a man to stand up there in the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And then the tragic words are, but I found none. That's bad. Now, when we read those, so therefore we read of God saying to Jacob, let me go. I mean, again, you know, there's several angles we can look at this, but one of them is like, God is asking Jacob for permission to go. That's pretty astounding. <laughs> it's like, you know, couldn't God get clear of Jacob's grip? You know, Of course God could. But so then why did God ask Jacob to let him go? He did that to put an honor on Jacob's faith. God does that. He puts an honor on people's faith. When the Lord Jesus Christ was going about, he was constantly crowning people, so to speak, with, I crown you, the honor of your faith. He said that. A woman with an issue of blood who believes that all she has to do is touch the hem of his garment to be healed, he turns her about, in Matthew 9, 22, Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said unto her, daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. 
and the womb was made whole from that hour. He crowned her honor on her faith. A blind man comes. A blind man comes to the Lord Jesus. He believes that the Lord can heal him, and the Lord does the same thing. Crowns, he, he gives honor to his faith, he says. Mark 10, 52, Mark 10, 52. Jesus said unto him, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Another person, a leper, a leper believes that the Lord Jesus Christ can heal him. And he, he honors his faith by saying in Luke 17, 9, Luke 17, 19, Luke 17, 19, he said unto him, arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. So with Jacob, same thing. The Lord wants to draw out of Jacob that Jacob believed that this man could bless him because the Lord wanted to honor Jacob's faith as he did with the others in the New Testament. So by saying, let me go, God was drawing out of Jacob this desire. Jacob is not what he should be, but, but he believes that God can make him what he's not and what he should be. So, and God wants to honor that. There's a lot of things in Jacob's life that is not honorable, but this is honorable. Jacob has a kind of a, a grabbing tenacity for a personality. So he's named. So in the flesh, he grabs with tenacity Esau's heel when he's born. And he grabs the birthright. And now in the spirit, he uses that same tenacious grip to not let go of God. I mean, he's still Jacob, but now he's getting regenerated here. And so the same traits are sanctified now. For example, you get a person who's you know, sexually caught in pornography. He's got an inner drive that drives him into sin. After he's rescued and saved, that will drive him into creativity. That's a creative person. So this drive is not denied. It's just sanctified and used by God. So when Jacob told the man that he wouldn't let him go unless he blessed him, that man, you know, like I said, Jacob knew this man's God. No one blesses except God. And he's so desperate that he's saying, if I have to die in this process of trying to get the blood, I'll die. You can put all my joints out of, all my bones out of joint. He said. And so then Jacob hears in verse 26, the day breaketh. And we can imagine, you know, Jacob saying to himself, yeah, the day breaketh. That's, there's gonna be a new, my night is finished, my day is starting. Now, as if we haven't seen enough uh, this, this, is all, this is all very shocking. Everything in here is very shocking. And, and it's, it's very strange things. But in verse 27, he says to him, what's thy name? And he said, Jacob. So the man is God. And God's saying, you know, what's God saying? God's saying, let's see, you know, it's been a long night of been wrestling. I've kind of forgotten who I'm wrestling with here. <laughs> it's been a tough night, you know. So uh, I see a slip in my mind. What's your name again? <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of, this is all very surprising, you know. God knows all things. God knew his name was Jacob. So the question is, why does, he, why does he ask his name? Why does he ask to tell him his name? Because from the time that Jacob took his first breath in life, Jacob was given this very, very meaningful name of heel grabber, a name that incorporates Jacob's character. From the time of his birth, he's identified as a person who would try to take what was not his, a birthright that wasn't his, he's going to grab it, take advantage, by, uh, take advantage of a weakness, and then by deceit. And so Jacob really kind of describes him as a sinner by his name from the time of his birth. That's a picture for us. I mean, when Adam sinned, Adam became sinful. And there's a very interesting statement 
about Adam's son, Seth, and it's in Genesis 5.3. Genesis 5.3, it's kind of going through all the history of Adam, and it says, and Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. There's Seth, you know. Seth, Seth's the, you know, Abel's the dead one, Cain's the bad one, Seth's the good one, you know. So Seth. And it's a very interesting word that's used to describe Seth. It's the word likeness, you know, likeness, demut in Hebrew, likeness. You know, it's first used by God when God was in the planning stage for making man. And God says, you know, planning on making man, I think I'll make him my own likeness. It says in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And when God then moves into the making phase for man, he describes it as, as being in the, in the likeness of God. He says in Genesis 1.27, the next verse, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him, him, male and female created them. So God makes Adam and Eve without sin. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they developed sin into their likeness. And sin was not part of God's likeness, but sin became a part of man's likeness. So when a man sinned, when Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, when, they, when man sinned, he lost his sinless nature that was part of God's likeness. And so losing that, that's why Adam's son Seth is described in the likeness and image, not of God, but of Adam because Seth had a sinful nature. Adam and Eve received a sinful nature. They received a sinful nature by choice. But their children received a sinful nature by birth. And then they confirmed their sinful nature by choice as well. We're all children of Adam. And and so we've been born in the image and the likeness of Adam with a sin nature. And we all prove that when we're given the opportunity, we choose sin. We were born in sin. God said about man in uh, talking to Noah in Genesis 8, 21, it says that for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's what God said about all men. The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. So when Adam sinned, he became an unclean sinner. And as an unclean sinner, Adam could only bring forth unclean, sinful children into the world. And Job emphasized that. In Job 14.4, Job 14.4, when Job says, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. And Romans 5.12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So Jacob is born in sin, his name reflects that, and God is asking now, put your attention on your name. Just put your attention on your name. Heel grabber, and, you know, think about how your name really describes your life of conniving, get what's not yours. And when we see God asking Jacob what his name was to get Jacob to focus on his failed life of grabbing, it reminds us of what God did right after the fall. You might want to turn to that, Genesis 3, 9. It's very, very foundational, fundamental for in, in the Bible for understanding about sin and God, how God deals with sin Because in Genesis 3, 9, it says, the Lord called unto Adam right after he sinned and said unto him, where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, well, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? 
And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree I did eat. It's her fault. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this thou hast done? The woman said, the serpent beguiled me. The Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and so forth. Now, how many parties were involved in the sin and fall of man? It's pretty easy, right? How many? Three. That's right, three. Okay, Adam, Eve, the serpent. Good. Now, let's look at how did God address the first party, Adam? How did he, what did he say to Adam? After he sinned, he said, where are you? First thing, right? Where art thou? In Genesis 3, 9. Okay. So, you know, again, you know, God's asking where he is. You know, did God lose Adam? You know, <laughs> Adam, I keep losing him. I need to put a cowbell on him, you know. <laughs> I keep losing Adam. He didn't, you know, he didn't need the information of where, where Adam was. He knew where he was. Clearly, just like with Jacob, God is asking Adam where you are. In other words, take stock of your condition. You know, God was drawing out of Adam attention to where he was. You know, God really was going, at this point, when he says, where art thou? God is like saying to Adam, how's that new disobedient life working out for you, Adam? You know, that's what's going on. You know, how's that new life of following the serpent uh, instead of me? How's that working out for you, Adam? That's where he was going. So God asked Adam, you know, where he was. It shows a goodness of God. It shows a kindness. He's leading Adam to look at his pathetic condition, you know, you're running away from God, you know, this is the first step. And this is what repentance is. Repentance is running back to God after I've run away from God. And so the first step of running back, coming back to God, is for a person to see, boy, I'm suffering from my disobedience and the consequences of sin. So this is, this is what I say. It shows the goodness of God. It, it, it shows when God is saying, look back and see what you did and see where you've landed. Adam, look back. Let my question where you are I, you know, cause you to put attention on what you did and what's happened to you. Because, Adam, I want to receive you back. But you can't come back, and you can't get my forgiveness and my mercy unless you repent, confess. Now, then he says to Adam in verse 11, Genesis 3.11, he says, Who told you you were naked? You know, hast thou eaten of the tree wherever I commanded thee? So again, you know, God's not wondering why Adam feels ashamed. He, he, he's not thinking to himself, well, the last time I saw Adam, he didn't feel ashamed about being naked. Now he feels ashamed about being naked. I don't know what's gone wrong. You know, he asked, I better ask Adam, you know. But clearly God is drawing out of Adam, look at the consequences of making you ashamed to be naked. He's leading Adam to ask himself the question, why is my conscience making me ashamed to be exposed? Yeah? And maybe there's a connection between, uh, you know, eating what I was told not to eat. Adam, look back. Let me ask you these questions. Why you feel ashamed? Why you're hiding? Draw attention to the fact it's all coming because you ate the tree I told you not to eat from. Because there's a side of God that Adam didn't know anything about. And this side of God is the merciful side of God. This is the forgiveness side of God. Adam didn't need that mercy and forgiveness in the past, but now that he sinned, he needs this mercy side of God. He needs this forgiveness side of God, and Adam knew nothing about that. See, the lost around us, they're like Adam hiding in the tree. They know, yeah, there's a supreme being, there's an all-powerful God, I know that, but they know nothing about the mercy side of God, about the forgiveness side of God. This is why they don't confess and repent and receive him. And now, Eve. Okay, what did he say to Eve? He said what? Remember? Yeah, what did you do? What did you do? 
Eve looks back, and, you know, again, Eve, you just turn around and look back. What did you do? You draw your attention to your sin. Look back. There's a question, the same thing. You, need to, you, you can't get my mercy and forgiveness until you come back to me with repentance and confession. Okay, what did God say to the serpent? Mm-hmm. You're cursed. You're cursed. Right, okay. What was the difference about what God said to the serpent or the devil compared to what God said to Adam and Eve? No forgiveness, and specifically, no question. There was no question asked to the devil. No question. Why not? Why would you ask a question to Adam? Ask you know, There's no question asked to the devil because there's no forgiveness available for the devil. God is not leading the devil to repentance so the devil could receive God's mercy and forgiveness. God is not saying to the devil, the devil, what did you do? Devil, did you tell the man that the fruit was good? Did you tell him that it was nice to look at? Did you tell him it would elevate him? He'd ask none of those questions to the devil to draw the devil's attention to his sin. God was not in the business of leading the devil to repentance because there is no forgiveness and mercy for the devil. There's no coming back to God for the devil. And when we see this in Genesis 3, that there were no questions asked to the devil because there's no mercy and forgiveness for the devil, that's very sobering because that's the case for every sinner who rejects God, who rejects his overtures, and to be saved in his lifetime, and he dies in his sin. See, what we see here in Genesis 3 in these questions asked to Adam and Eve and the lack of questions asked to the devil is before rebellious man, before he dies, before a rebellious man's death, there are from God questions, leadings, pleadings, because the door's open. The door's open for a rebellious man to repent and receive God's mercy and forgiveness. But after rebellious man dies, after rebellious man's death, there's no questions, there's no leadings, there's no pleadings because the door's closed for a rebellious man to repent and receive God's mercy and forgiveness. As long as man's alive on earth, the door's open for him to receive God's mercy and forgiveness, come back to God, run back to God, provided he responds to these overtures of God, these questions and and leadings and so forth. But this open door that God has to rebellious man, it's an invitation that God is making. You see it in Isaiah, Isaiah 118. Isaiah 118, God says, come now, let's reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. See, these words... Again, plug these words together. Come, from God, your sins, same breath. Come, your sins. God is saying to man, so you can come, let me draw your attention to your sins. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come, now let me draw your attention to the exhaustion of your soul, your soul's exhaustion. Let me draw your attention to that heavy burden that you feel that you've got. Let me draw your attention to that restlessness and no peace in your soul because I want you to come, but let me draw your attention to the consequences of your sin. Come, Isaiah 118, come, your sins. Now, God's made it so easy, so easy for man to come to him. There's a great hymn. We don't sing it here. It's a great hymn, Fanny Crosby hymn. It's called Only a Step to Jesus. Only a step to Jesus, then why not take it now? Come and thy sin confessing to him thy Savior bow. Only a step, only a step, come, he waits for thee. Come and thy sin confessing. Thou shalt receive a blessing. Do not reject the mercy he freely offers thee. 
In the early 1900s, a Plymouth Brethren missionary from England named Fred Olford went to Portuguese Angola to bring the gospel there to the natives. And one time he was traveling to meet this one chief of a tribe, and as he was going, he was translating this, this hymn into the Ochoco language, where the people he was going to go talk to. So he gets to the tribe, and the chief gathers all the people around him as Fred, Fred Olford begins to describe salvation to the chief. And the chief says to him, you know, white man, he says, uh, how do I get this salvation? It just seems too complicated to me. And at that point, Fred Olford thought of that hymn. So he stands up, Fred Olford stands up, takes his rifle in his hand, and he says, chief, watch me. And then right in front of the chief, he uses the end of his rifle, and he drags this line in the dirt, you know? He says, you see this line, chief? He says, yeah. And then he says, chief. He stands on one side of the line like this. He goes, chief. You know, on this side where I'm standing is shame and guilt and fear and sadness and death and hell. And then he says, he says, now, chief, on the other side of the line is forgiveness and peace and joy and life in heaven. On the other side. And he says, now, chief, watch me and I'll show you how to receive salvation. And then Fred Over, he just stepped over the line. He said, he just stepped over the line. And he said, that's it. That's it, chief. He says, you just step over the line. Only a step to Jesus. Then why not take it now? Come with thy sin confessing. Chief's face lit up. He said, I understand. And he and the tribe took the step, received God's mercy and forgiveness. So they experienced another hymn. There shall be showers of blessing. Oh, that, we're, oh, that today they might fall. Now as to God we're confessing, now as on Jesus we call. That's the way God makes his invitation to come to him. God's mode is, I want you to come. So let me draw your attention to your sin so you can come with your sin confessing. So God's asking Jacob, put your attention on your name. Oh, yeah, my name's Jacob. Oh, yeah, I'm the heel grabber. Oh, yeah, that's what I've done all my life. That's how I've lived my life. been kind of rough. Now, God can and will throw off any self-reliant, proud, self-confident man who refuses to call himself a dirty, rotten sinner. But God cannot resist a person who cries out to him in helplessness and says, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. So God's all about changing people, and he's all about giving them a new name, a new life. You know, that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things, they're passed away. They didn't really happen. Behold, well, they did happen, but in your mind, they didn't happen. All things are become new. But God has to start with a person with a clear confession of sin. Without that, there's no start. There's no start with God. That's why God asked Jacob for his name, so Jacob could remember, oh, yeah, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I'm a dirty, rotten, self-seeking, self-reliant sinner. And my life has brought me to this disabled state where I'm with my having my thigh out of joint. That's just like a symbol of my life. I'm ready for you now, God. So next week, we'll see what God does for him. Father, thank you so much for your word. Let us not forget your word, what you have done with Jacob, which, how you want to impress us and use, this, use these lessons for us in this week. In Jesus' name, amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. On opening day, September 25th, we'll have Phil's Barbecue with special guest musician Jim Earp. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 